If you've got your Bibles, Matthew 4. This is just a great day in the Lord. So many of my friends are here, and they're not friends. They're, they're family. They're work family, and I've just been blessed by so many. Um, just being here is so great. You can put it up if you don't mind. Matthew 4, 19. We're just going to read two verses. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets, and they followed him. One more time, Matthew 4, 19. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets, and they followed him. Father, we pray that you have your way. We thank you for your spirit that we feel here today, God. As you touch the lips of Jeremiah, God, I pray that you touch my lips and put your word in my mouth. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for all that you've done. God, your anointing breaks yokes of bondage. Yes. Let your anointing come, Father God, even stronger. We need you, Lord. Amen. Amen. So everybody in here probably knows pretty well this passage of Scripture. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. What I felt like this week that God had been dealing with me about, if we're not careful, we can make church about everything but that one sentence. We can get caught up in everything, and instead of follow me, we kind of live our life like, God, I need you to follow me, God, and I want you to bless what I'm doing, and I want you to bless where I'm going. Come on. Instead of, God, I'll follow you, and you've got to make me. And here's what I want to say today, and I want you to get with me. The making process is what's missing in the church in America right now. It's a process. It takes time with him. It takes being with him. You can't know how Jesus is or walks or talks and how you're supposed to be if you're not following him and letting him make you into what he wants you to be. Yeah. We want to come in and say we want souls and we want to do things in church and we want to be all this, but we don't want to submit our schedule and our time and our life to him and say, Lord, I'm going to get back to following you. When we were in worship today, I really felt like the Lord just kept impressing on my heart. Remind them today to get back to following me. Talk to them. Tell them I'm not mad. I'm not upset. Tell them I'm standing here. I'm waiting. Just get back to following Get back to asking me, Lord, show me your ways, Lord. I'll walk with you. Teach me how I should walk. Teach me how I should talk. Because let me tell you something. We are not like this world. If the world sees the church act like they do, why would they ever want to be a part? We're different. We're called to walk different. When they slap this cheek, we as believers have so much the love of God, we turn our cheek. In this world, if they smack this cheek, they smack you back. We cannot look like this world. It's a poison that's come into the house of God that we must look and act and talk like the world to get the world. That is never going to work. What's in us, what we have, the one that we possess, the way we're going to convert them. And listen, when he said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. That can apply to everybody in here. Whatever you're doing, follow me and he'll make you one of those of men. Follow him. I don't care if you're working a clerical job. I don't care where you're working. His goal and objective is getting you back to following him because there are people all around you that are dependent on you to bring them hope and love and peace and joy. Amen? Amen. And I'm telling you, you can get so in church 
that you forget what church is about. We can stop following him sitting on a pew. I've been there. I've been raised in church my whole life. You can see things that deter you. Listen to me. Forget seeing stuff. See him. See him. I'm telling you, see him. Follow him. Get your, turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's why that song, look at him. Follow him. Listen to him. How many of the people around us on a daily basis are hurting, but we're so busy doing our thing, we don't even realize God's placed us right there for them? That making process. That making process. I'll make you fishers of men. Let me show you a couple of scriptures that have the same principle of follow, which means surrender, right? Can you see this picture that Jesus had so much about him that these guys, he walks by them and says, follow me, and they throw down their career to follow him. We're supposed to be ambassadors We're supposed to be representatives. We're supposed to have so much of God in us that people, they don't throw down their nets anymore. They keep working as unto the Lord and they're representatives of Him on the job. And they're representatives of Him in the community. Listen, I I say it sometimes. This community that we're in right here has a heroin problem. I had one one of the Gardendale police officers when I worked for Alabama Power over here told me heroin has flooded Gardendale High School. It's there. Whose job is it to fix it? It's not programs. It's not going to work. We have to get in the hearts and the lives of those kids and those students. And parents have to get on board with this thing. The gospel changes everything. When Jesus comes into an area, he's changed forever. That's what it's going to take. It's not going to take more self-help. It's going to take Jesus Christ who can grab your heart and change you forever. That you throw down everything you have for him. That's all it's going to take. I'm telling you, we can try and offer everything we can to this world, but it's our job to say, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's nothing that tastes like Him. There's no drug. You can have all kind of sex that you want. It will not satisfy like the sex that God designed in His Word. We need to be telling this message. His call. Listen, I'm telling you. When you start asking people, what's your call? We get so complex and so diverse, we completely miss. It's to be fishers of men. Our heart has to be men. Mankind. We have to be thinking about souls. Remember what it was like to be in bondage to sin? We have freedom. I hope. Maybe we don't offer freedom because we don't have freedom. Look at a couple of the scriptures with me. Matthew 10, 21. JT, I gave you the wrong scripture. You can put that down. So let me just tell you, I think it's Matthew something. Had a lot going on. Had a lot going on this morning. I'll make sure to put it out on Facebook, whatever it is. If you've read your Bible, you're going to follow me. So this young, rich ruler comes to Jesus and says, Master, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He says, keep the commandments. Listen, if this is not a representation of America, I've never seen one. 
Lord, I've kept the commandments since the day I was born. Go talk to people. I'll go to Walmart and try to witness to people. Hey, do you know Jesus? Oh, yeah, I go to Gardner First Baptist. That's not what I ask. You know what I'm saying? We live in a generation that is so religious. Here he was, a religious leader of his day. Do you realize that he could quote the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, by the age of 12? He knew it. And Jesus said, oh, keep the commandments. He said, I got that. I'm a good person. He says, oh, one last thing. Everything that you possess, go sell it and give it to the poor. And then listen what he says. Back to and come follow me. I don't know if you understand what just happened there. Jesus Christ did not, when he was on this earth, offer the multitudes to come follow him. When he said, follow me, he said it to our fishermen that we read about, Peter, James, John. And then he walked by a man named Levi, whose name was Matthew, who worked for the IRS of the government that nobody liked him. We kind of read, oh, he's a tax collector. No, you need to understand, he was working for the Roman government, putting taxes on his people, Israel. He was a hated man. Jesus walks right by him. He's wealthy because he's crooked. And he would say, follow me. And Matthew gets up and abandons everything. That's the message of the gospel. We don't care what your past is. So Jesus looks at this young man and it says he loves him. If you're here today and you're not following Jesus, he is looking at you and he loves you. He's not mad at you. I don't care what right, self-righteous Pharisees in the church have told you. He's here for you. He died for you. And then he tells him something that he only told those 12. You follow me. He made him an offer. We could be reading a book of the Bible that was written by him. Do you realize? This is something to ponder. It scares me that our choices... And it says he went away sorrowful because he had much possession. He could have been one of the greatest men in church history. You're sitting on a pew today. If you would yield to follow me, there is no telling what the offer is for your life. There's no telling what God has for you in store. You say, it might not be to lead thousands. Yeah, but man, if you lead one. I've never seen just one person get saved in a family. Salvation is contagious. Jesus is love. Get one person saved, and all of a sudden it just starts to spread. They start talking about this person that loved them more than life itself, who gave his life for them, and all of a sudden the gospel message doesn't have to be reminded to a new convert. They preach it anyway. Everywhere they go. Remember when you got saved? Remember when you were so excited? Have you been serving God so long that you might need to bust the rust off of you? And remember what it was like to be filled with His power and His love? If you don't remember that, you need to get saved today. I've heard so many stories of people that sit on church pews their whole life. And then you would say, hey, when did you get saved? And they'd be like, I've always been in church. It's not the same thing. Man, at 19 years old, I'd been raised in church. I came down in December of 1998 to an altar at Forestdale Church of God. And Jesus Christ grabbed my heart forever. 
I was a terrible drunk to my shame. I've never touched it since. I didn't want it since because I tasted something that was better than all of that. Amen. He wants our hearts. He wants every part of us. He wants us just to follow him. We make it so complicated. You know, you follow him tomorrow morning when you wake up. Say, Lord, I want to follow you. Just lead me. Show me how you want me to live. Show me how you want me to walk. Show me how you want me to act. And then he says, yeah, I'm going to show you. It's called the word. Now here's now we're making. Follow me and I'll make you. Now the making process. You read all these books about Christianity today and they call us the microwave generation and they call us all this stuff. If we're not careful, we'll know that, but we'll be doing that. Well, won't God make me a fisher of men? And like, I want you to come and lay hands on me. And I want this impartation of being a fisher of men. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It's a relationship. You know, we read the scripture and he says, Jesus said to a group and they said, didn't we heal in your name? Didn't we worship? Didn't we do all these prophecies? And he says, I've never known, know you. I don't know you. And the word know there is how Adam knew Eve. It means an intimate relationship. And God said, he's not saying he don't know you. He's saying there was a time where we were intimate, where you love my word and you love talking to me. But something has happened and now we don't connect anymore like we used to connect. Ever been there? Easy to do. Let hardship start to happen. The first thing the devil wants to do is start accusing God to you how bad God is. Let hurt and pain come in. Listen to me. I don't know where we've got this from. I can't find anybody in the Bible that when they wanted more of God, they didn't go through the fire. So everybody talks about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's funny to me. They're like, yeah, they got delivered from the fire. No, 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 no. You need to go read. That's Daniel chapter 3, delivery from the fire. You need to read Daniel chapter 2, the last five verses. Daniel told King Nebuchadnezzar a dream, and then he recommended Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be promoted. If you desire to have God today, if you desire for more of God, you need to understand it is a biblical concept. The fiery furnace is waiting for you. God, I want more of you. Life is not going to get easier. The easy is the eternal with him forever. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, fight a good warfare. That's biblical, right? So I'm reading that and I'm like, whoa, they got promoted. And the next thing they know, their promotion took them right to the fire. But what I love about it is King Nebuchadnezzar's like, you're going to bow to my image. And they're like, not only are we not going to bow and our God's going to deliver us, I don't care if he doesn't deliver us. I still serve him. I'm still with him. Even if he doesn't, I'm his. So they throw him in the fire. Number one, his best soldiers all die. He picked his best soldiers. So I don't care if it looks like the enemy's got his best attack going on you. The very fire that you think is, God, what's happening to me? Is God working for you? 
It says that they came and their bands were loosed. Listen, when you want more of God, there's things in all of us that we need worked on. How does he work it out? Oh, his goodness, and we dance. That's not how human nature dance. We don't dance out the good stuff. Oh, I'm in fields of grace. We're ruined with his blessings if he, we're not careful. We get worthless. We look like we've been sitting at the buffet for too long. Right? So he says, oh, I'm going to get these bonds off you. It's coming. Your promotion's coming. You want more of me? I got it for you. But it's going to take fire. And then it says, and the fourth man was standing there in the fire. And he delivered them and they walked out. And listen, I love that. It never says the fourth man ever left the fire. It's my favorite part of that. He's still there today. For any of us that want more of him and desire more of him and obstacles are coming our way and attacks are coming our way, the fourth man is still standing in the fire, the son of God, and he's going to deliver you. Paul wrote, who has delivered us, who is delivering us, and who will deliver us from every trial. He is still in the fire. Listen to me. Embrace the fire. When it comes hard, start worshiping in the fire. He's just perfecting you. Some of us care what people think too much about us. Until we can get over that, he's going to use people to keep us confined and concerned. It's time to break free from what people think and worry about what God thinks. He's standing with us. So then I love it. So Daniel recommended them, and they're in the fire, and they come out of the fire, and they get another promotion. It's going to take fire. He said, prove it to me. There's a man named Joseph. God gives him a dream, and oh, I pray that God begins to give us a dream again for the lost. And he gets a dream in his heart. And his dream took him to a dungeon. And he's in a dungeon, first a pit. He thinks he's going to die in this pit, by the way. There were no Walmarts, so he could grab bottles of water. In his mind, he's like, I'm going to die. And they redeem him, and he's like, oh, great. I go from a pit to a slave. I'm going to die. And then a the guy says, hey, you told me my dream. I'm going to remember you. You're getting out. And he's like, yeah, I'm getting out of this trial. And the guy forgets him. <laughs> Some of you feel like God's forgot you. And it was God all along that put you right where you yes, are. You're like, God, God has forgot me. He hasn't forgotten you. The Bible says that you are the apple of his eye. You know what it really means? You're the, pul- you're, you're the pupil. He can't look and not see you. One place he says he's engraved you on his arm. He can't do anything without thinking about you. David, the man after his heart, was so wrecked by him. He said... Your thoughts towards me are more than the sands of the, of the, of the beach. Are, he's like, they're innumerable. Yeah. It's like, I can't get it out. I feel so much love. <laughs> he's thinking about you. You're not alone. In the prison, he's with you. And then David wrote later and said, but when Joseph's word came, it was his time. He all of a sudden remembered him and said, I know a man that can interpret dreams. And the promise came. But everybody wants that fishers of men and that dream and all the great things. But we don't want to walk through the fire and the pit and the prison. You don't think he learned some things? He got that dream. He got that swag coat going. Many colors. 
They didn't have it back then. He walked out saying, everybody's bowing to me. God said, I even saw the sun and the moon bowing down to me. I got it going on. Come on. It took a pit in a prison to get him second in command over the world. What did it do to him? I'll tell you what it did to him. When those same brothers showed up in the famine. All that pride. All that unforgiveness. That's how the devil beats us. God removed it from him. He said, oh, brothers, and he fell and wept on him. He said, what you meant for evil, I now get it. I had to go through the prison to get to the promotion. What you meant for evil to kill me was actually God's hand to get all the stuff out of me so that I could be promoted. Listen, this is stuff in the Bible. Listen, we need to get back reading these stories. I remember growing up as a kid, you put them on the felt board, you know? It was like little David throwing a sling and big Goliath and you had the felt board stuff. Listen, it's a lot deeper than a felt board. I thank God I learned those stories. But let me tell you something. There's some meat in those things. Some of you are going through the grinder right now and the voice of the enemy is loud telling you that God's forgotten you, that God's forsaken you. And you need to throw both hands up and start to worship him and say, he's just taking things out of me that I don't need, that I don't need anything from, and I'm going to learn from it. Come on. How do we, if we can't get forgiveness in our heart, we can't win. Amen. Amen. You don't think these disciples that I'm talking about went through the make you fishers of men? I could talk to you for 10 hours on Peter alone. So he says, I'll make you a fisher of men. Peter did not become a fisher of men for three and a half years. On the day of Pentecost, Jesus had to work with him. He was talking about who's going to be the greatest. Oh, that spirit's still alive and well in the church today. Who's going to be the greatest? Look at him. I'm going to be the greatest. I'm going to be the greatest. I'm going to sit by Jesus. I'm on his right hand. I got him. Then he even says, Lord. He says, devil's going to sift you, try to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. Your faith will remain. And he, he says, no, Jesus, I will go with you till death. True statement. Wrong time. Jesus turns and says, really, to the death, the rooster's going to crow three times and you're going to cuss and deny me. I love it. You say, you love that? Oh, yeah, because now we can relate to that. He dropped the ball. He wept bitterly. He even said, I can't serve the Lord anymore. There's people sitting here today, I feel it, that you've given up. You said, I've messed up too much. I can't serve God anymore. And you'll find out in John 21, Peter says, I'm going back. I can't go forward. And he's fishing and he catches nothing. Remember those nets we talked about that he left? He went back to them thinking, I've only got the nets left. The devil has convinced so many Christians there's nowhere to go forward with God because they've messed up. There's only back. It's a lie from hell. And he catches nothing. And he looks up. And who's standing there on the shore? But Jesus. If you don't read John 21, you should read it 400,000 times. Every time I read it, I could write five books on it. He's standing there at the shore. And then he says, hey, you guys got any fish? (laughs) I'm just curious. 
You ever had Jesus ask you a question? You think he don't know? <laughs> the question, read the questions of Jesus. Where are you, Adam? You don't think he knew where Adam was? You don't think he knew what Adam did? Those are rhetorical questions that learn something about us. Elijah, what are you doing here with your pity party? Hey guys, you got any food? How'd that going back work out for you? I love it. He says, throw your net on the right side. They catch so many fish, it even numbers them. How many fish they caught, and it almost sunk the boat. The other boat has to come. But no, no, no. Don't focus on the fish. Focus on Peter. Man. The one that loved him named John. See, if you love Jesus, you know him. He says, I think that's Jesus. Peter jumps in. And swims after him. There's some people here today that you, now that you hear that Jesus is so happy with you and he loves you and he's ready, you, all you got to do is come back to him. And I love this part of the story. Peter walks up. Before he can say anything, the meal's already prepared. Now where did Jesus get those fish? He was teaching him something. You going back to this world will never satisfy you. If you'll follow me, I'll feed you. I'll take care of you. The meal is ready. Just come back. Get back. I'll take care of your career. I'll take care of you the rest of your life. It's already. I don't need you, Peter. You need me. And then they go through this great process where Jesus just tells him how sorry he was. He couldn't believe he cussed him. Made him feel condemned and terrible. Said, bend over, Peter. I'm going to give you stripes upon your back to teach you a lesson. Nah, but why we do that to ourselves? He said, hey, I got a question. And Peter's like, here it goes. Here it goes. He's going to get me. He says, do you love me? Listen, you can break it down in the Greek, phileos and agape, and you can get into all that. Listen, I'm way too simple for all that. I've studied it. I got the little things that I did all the classes. I don't care about any of that. He says, do you love me? That's the question he's asking us today. Do you love me, Peter? Lord, you know I love you. Get back to work. I need, I need you to be a fisher of men. Take care of my lambs. Do you, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. I've failed you so bad. I need you to get back to work, Peter. People need to hear that once you're converted, he said, go strengthen the brethren in your fail. Do you love me? He's got so mad. Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. I got crisscrossed. My life got weird. I started making mistakes. You died. I didn't understand it. Listen, you can be sitting on a pew today and your life is going crazy and you've made some mistakes in the storm and the devil tells you how sorry you are and Jesus Christ is standing there saying, do you love me? And you're saying, yes, Lord, I love you. And he said, why have you stopped working? Why have you stopped witnessing? Why do you not keep encouraging if you love me, get back to work. Yeah. Feed them. Share your experience. Confess your faults one to another and pray that you may be healed. Listen to me, and I'm going to close with this, and this is kind of weird. I, I want you to follow me. I was kind of, I didn't want to preach this because it's going to kind of mess with Sunday school theology. So just hang tight with me. If you don't agree with this statement, Come see me after. We'll sit down and talk. 
James 5.16. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you might be forgiven. No, healed. So I'm reading that a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, that should say pray for one another that you may be forgiven. No, because he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Well, what's the difference between forgiven with us and healed? God put a little thing in the body of Christ called the brethren. He put, listen, have you ever had a sin before? And come on, be honest, that you've asked God to forgive you for, but within a day you went back to it. Were you forgiven? Sure you were. Were you healed? No. What happens when you bring it out and expose it to the body? When you get that accountability partner and the breath. That's why the devil is trying to distract people from the house of God. That's why he don't want people coming. That's why he don't want people getting close. They can't be healed of their sin because they can't get together. If a cord of three is not easily broken, there's power when we come together. That's why he said, Peter, when you become converted, he was already saved. God had been using him. He meant when he got out of this problem and realized God's love, you go strengthen the brethren with this message that if they fall down, the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up and he's forgiven and he keeps coming. Take this message to the people. Now listen, don't you go confessing your sins to just anybody. It's talking about us being together. That's why the devil hates unity. Because when you expose your sin, and yes, only God forgives. But when you say, I've got a problem. I'll never forget this year on New Year's Eve. We didn't even watch the ball drop because we started talking about anxiety. And I saw people begin to share in a small group of people their struggle and their battle with anxiety. And it brought healing they got it out their fear was see when you just fight it alone it was never meant to fight this thing alone you want it healed get in you want it healed find you somebody that can pray and believe with you yes it's forgiven when you ask him you know how hard it is for us as americans because we're so proud to confess to somebody we're weak I want to be healed. You need to go to your best friend and say, I got a gossip problem. I don't know about all that. Yeah, you don't want to be healed. You like your gossip problem. Come on. So today, as I bring it to a close, I just want to tell you, he's still standing on the shore. He's waiting on you. It's your move. The ball is in your court. He's not mad. I'm telling you, as I was standing down there during worship, he was like, just tell him to get back to following me. Just tell him to get back close to me. I'm telling you, if you're in in ministry roles, several, I look around, are in ministry roles in other churches and other ministries, it's so easy to get focused on the ministry that you miss him in it. I've been there. I've looked up and thought, man, kind of left Jesus out of this whole working for him. How did I get here? Easy to do. 
He wants us to follow him again. He wants us to get close to him. And then he wants to start making us where we're thinking about him. If you're here today and you feel condemnation or guilt, that's not the Lord. He's here standing there saying, just come to me and I'm going to heal you. Just come to me. I'm going to get you back on the right track. That's why David had to say he's the great shepherd. He restores my soul. I love that verse. I'm weary, God. Good. He's the restorer. He's the shepherd. Lord, I am off the path and I am lost. Good. He leaves the 99 to find the one. That's great. You know what you got to do? You just got to do what that sheep does. Let out a weird sound. Ah, call on him. He hears you. He can't find you in the wilderness. You just got, ah, Lord, come on. Be a sheep today. In your heart, call to him. God, I am not where I know. I am in some kind of wilderness. Come get me. I need some help. Get me back on the path of righteousness. You know what he'll do? He'll crown you with his loving kindness and his tender mercy. You'll fall so in love with him. I'm going to tell this, and you probably know it because everybody's been in church forever. One of my favorite stories in Israel is about the shepherd that has that one stubborn sheep. You ever heard this? We'll remind everybody. He keeps bringing him back and bringing him back, and he keeps leaving the fold. He keeps bringing him back. Finally, he says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Well, that's a good point, but it's kind of there's something in the middle of that comfort. He takes that sheep with that rod and he, bah, he breaks that leg for him. And he, now you can't wonder. And he puts him over him and he carries that sheep everywhere he goes. Guess what they say? When, they fi- when it finally heals and he tends to that break and he loves on that sheep and that sheep hears him talking every day and gets close to him, they say that sheep stays the closest to him. That sheep is right always by him. So maybe today you keep running away and you don't understand why your life is not working out or there's a pain. I'll tell you why there's a pain. Sometimes that loving shepherd will break that leg for you. It looks like a lot of different things. And at the time you're like, why is this happening? Until you spend some time with the sheep, the shepherd. All of a sudden you learn his voice. You learn his heart. Amen. Everybody stand with me. So what we're going to do is we're going to have an altar call and we're going to do something a little bit different because it's my first Sunday. If you read in the scriptures, before they sent off people in the book of Acts, they laid hands on them and they commissioned them. They sent them. If you read where Moses laid his hand upon Joshua and the spirit that was upon Moses came upon Joshua and the people followed Joshua like they did Moses. So we're going to have an altar call, but at the end, I'm going to ask our pastor. He's always going to be our pastor, y'all. Just get over it. I'm going to ask him to come down and I've asked anybody that wants to, I've asked Brother Frost, if you don't know who Brother Frost is, this is a, he's a spiritual father to me. He came down from Jackson. He's poured into my life since I rededicated that night. He's spoken into my life and he means so much to me. And I'm so thankful he came down, him and Brother Caleb. 
who's like my brother? Caleb has a love for the same thing I have a love for, steak. And and I'm going to ask for the elders of the church that will. And I want you guys to pray over me. I believe it's biblical. And I'm going to pray for that impartation and that change as we lead. What we do, I feel like we must do quickly. I feel like our time's getting short. And I, I want us to be healed and whole. And I want us to be making disciples. Amen. Amen. So if, if you're here today and you haven't been following him as close as you should have been, as they sing, I want you to come down and just take a second and just tell him. Maybe you need to be like that sheep. Just cry out to him. He'll find you. He knows where you are. He's not going to beat you up. He's going to say, do you love me? Lord, I wouldn't be standing here if I didn't love you. I need you. Get back to work. And he'll love on you. Amen.